And so, would you help me welcome the gift that we have with Pastor Glenn Graham. Brother, come on. Amen. Amen. Is this thing, is my mic on? Hello. Good morning, everybody. There you are, brother. There we go. We're live. Hey, I might take, can I take that mic? I might use that later. I might need more than one. I might get so going that I need two microphones. So, thank you, Jesus. It is awesome to be here this morning. I, I am so excited. This feels like a continuation of the Christmas party on Friday, you know? I mean, we, you know, that, that was so cool to be able to fellowship with everybody on Friday. And then we had a Didymi Christmas party yesterday. And so, coming off of that into this worship service this morning here it just feels like a continuous party and so this is this is chapter three of the Christmas celebration so we're I'm excited to be here and so uh, let me open with prayer father God we thank you Lord I thank you for every person here I thank you for harvest and the impact that they're making in Cambridge Lord Lord we felt the outpouring of your spirit this morning, Lord. I ask that you just overflow this place with a wave of love of your son, Jesus Christ, a baptism of the spirit and the love of the father, Lord. We ask that it would pour over this place this morning, Lord, that as we hear how you are with us in storms, Lord, that uh, we learn to maybe look forward to storms, Lord, because we know that you are with us in the storms, Lord. We give you glory. We give you honor and praise in Jesus name. Amen. Hallelujah. So, yeah, when, when we were talking about this series, Pastor Brent said, hey, I'm, you're going to do the, the part of this on God with us in the storm. And I said, hey, hallelujah, I got, I got some experience for that. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where maybe years back I would have shied away from, but I've gotten so used to being in the storm, I don't, it doesn't matter because I look at it as his favor. You know, I figure, you know. If, if I'm in the storm, I, I just feel like I'm walking in favor. And so what, what you're going to get this morning is a testimony. It's going to be scriptural, but it's going to be a testimony at the same time. And I'm hoping that it becomes your testimony as well, because the confidence that, that we have in Jesus Christ is amazing. And if we can walk in that confidence, you know, it's all the better. So the first storm that I'm going to talk about is storms in our, in our environment. And you can put the first slide up there. You know, these, these storms can be storms in the environment, weather storms, things like that. Things in our lives where, uh, you know, it's the environment you're in. It can be your work environment. It can be the weather itself. It can be things, just the situations that you're placed in. And the important thing is God is with us in those storms. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read scripture. I'm taking the approach where I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and I'm going to read you this scripture. It's with Jesus and the disciples on the storm on the sea. And I want you to close your eyes and put yourself in the place of the disciples, right? Close your eyes, put yourself in the place. I don't know how many of you, you we've got a couple of lakes around here, Seneca and uh, Salt Fort. You know, I don't know if any of you, my wife does not like boating. We, we ran a boat one time, the plug came out of it and it almost, well, it did. We swamped a boat at Salt Fort. <laughs> Uh, she's not a boat fan. I still like boating. That didn't shy me away from it. But she, she says she, I was the one that was in the mud pushing us out of the way from the shore. But, you know, but I stayed in the boat and says, hey, can you get us out of the mud? But, but I, maybe some people in here don't like boats. But uh, close your eyes and let me read this scripture. 
Imagine that you're one of the disciples. I'm reading out of Matthew chapter 4. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other boats also were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat onto the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. As they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Then he arose, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And then he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Right? So now open your eyes and let's come back and let's dissect this thing. I mean, they, they, this storm started when Jesus, he said, let us get in the boat. So they were with Jesus when they got into the boat, right? They were with him, they get into the boat, and it says, as he was. Well, he was tired because he went to sleep. He goes to the back of the boat, grabs up a pillow, and he falls stone cold asleep. And there's all these boats around them, and a storm comes up, and the storm is so bad it's pouring down rain. The boat, their boat is starting to swamp, right? Their boat is filling up with water and they start to freak out. And all, there's all these other boats that were out there with them as well, right? Now, who knows what these disciples did before they started hanging out with Jesus? They were fishermen. These guys knew about boating. They were experienced boaters. If experienced boaters are afraid and they think that something is up, in the boat. This is not like a first time flyer. These guys know what they're doing, right? They, they are afraid that they're going to die and they're freaking out because what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. He says, Hey, let's all go in the boat. We're going to go the other side. And Jesus is sleeping. They're freaking out, assuming that he doesn't know what's going on or assuming that he doesn't care what's going on. And does he not know that we're all about ready to die? Right? Now, how many times have we been in a storm of life where we feel the same way? It seems like God is asleep. He must not know what I'm going through. Right? He must not. What are you, sleeping? Do you not know that I'm about ready to die? Have we ever been in a storm like that? Right? These disciples are in a storm like that. And so they wake him up and they, they ask him this question. I think you knew the answer, right? <laughs> they asked him, do you know we're going to die? But he does, the funny thing, the cool thing is he does not respond to them. He doesn't, he doesn't do what we do. Sometimes we try to play Jesus. Sometimes somebody's in a storm and we'll hug them, we'll tell them it's going to be okay and this and that and the other. There, there are times when people are in a storm, we need to let them be in the storm. God's with them. Right? Right? Let them be in the storm. God's with them, Right? If he's with us, he's with them. I should do what Pastor Brent says. Sometimes people are in a storm, we gotta let them because God is with them, right? Let me try it over here. No, no. There are times we gotta pray, we gotta discern, do we let them in that storm? We're not leaving them alone if we leave them in a storm, right? We're not leaving them alone. Not if we believe he's with us, we gotta believe he's with them. We're not leaving them alone. We're leaving them in good hands. Right? Leaving them in good hands. 
And God will fix that storm. So he wakes up and he says, peace, be still. Right? And complete calm. Complete calm, just like that. He calmed the storm. And the disciples, then they were afraid. They were, first they were afraid for their life. They thought they were going to die. Then they're afraid of the life. Who's this guy in this boat? Who in the world takes a storm that we are afraid we're going to die from, and now it's completely still? They're more afraid than they were before because they just realized what it's like to have the king of the universe in the boat with you, the creator of heaven and earth, right? Abba Father is in the boat, and he's the one that's truly in control. Amen? Amen. And so that's the cool thing I like about this, and it's, it's just a metaphor for how we get in these storms of life. And we lose sight of things and we start being concerned about the storm and we convince ourselves that God is not with us when in fact that he is. Right? Amen? All right, so that's the, that's the first one. And so we got to remember God is with us in every situation, every storm. All right, so that's the first type of storm. The second type of storm, this is a rough one. Give me that second one there. Nobody wants to talk about this one. This is, you know, this is, this is a rough one. Sometimes we end up in a storm because of our sin, right? Sometimes God has something for us that he wants us to do or that we shouldn't be doing, and we end up doing it anyhow. That's called sin. We're outside of God's will. We're outside of his plan, and there are consequences to sin, and sometimes we're in that storm because of that sin. Right? Amen? And so there's some scripture on that. It's the, it's the lady caught in adultery. And so I'm going to do this again. Close your eyes. You are now all the lady caught in adultery. Right? Oh, you can't put me in that situation, Pastor. Put yourself in that situation. Right? Put yourself in that situation. I want you to feel condemnation from everybody around you except for the one that matters. Right? You are the woman that's condemned because of your sin. It's not that you didn't sin, right? We all sin, fall short of the glory of the Lord, but where's the condemnation, right? Condemnation will make you feel alone in a storm, right? So close your eyes. You're the woman caught in sin. Now, early in the morning, he came again to the temple and all the women, all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commands us that she should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something to which accuse him. But Jesus stopped, he stooped down, and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear him. So they continued to ask him. He raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin amongst you, let him cast the stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted of their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw nobody but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? 
She says, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Hey, amen. How about that? You open your eyes now. So what's it feel like to be caught in sin and everybody around you that could be helping you is condemning you and you're in a storm? You created it. You created, right? Rightfully, you created that. Some people say, you made your bed, lay in it. You know, right? And there's condemnation coming in from everybody, the whole community, right? And they're all standing there with stones wanting to kill her, right? But what does, what does Jesus say about that? Jesus said, hey, every one of you is guilty of sin. Every one of you is guilty of sin, and every one of you needs forgiveness, right? And I think it's interesting that the oldest first Decide, you know what? He's got, there's something to this. There's something to this thing that he's talking about here, right? They drop their stone and they walk away to where this woman who was under heavy condemnation from the whole community, she sees all of that just wash away, right? Tell me, did Jesus clear that storm? That storm went away too, didn't it? Yeah, amen. That, that storm wasn't a peace be still storm. That was a, hey, if you can throw the stone, then throw it, right? If you have no sin, if you think you're worthy of putting condemnation on her, then you throw that stone, right? He cleared that storm another way, right? He cleared that storm. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Romans 8, 1, right? For the law of the spirit of death sets you free from the law of sin and guilt, Right? I might have messed that up a word or two, but that's generally what Romans 8, 1 and 2 say, right? That's, a, that's the second storm, and God is with us, even when we're sinning. We'd like to think that he's not, because we probably think we're trying to get away with something, Come on. right? Been there, done that. Nah, he's, nah, he's, this is going to bother He'll let me. He'll, he'll understand. Boom. No, he won't, <laughs> right? I read a quote the other day that says, the closer you get to God the more you are convicted of your sin. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty deep because, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. Just when you think you got your life cleaned up and you're starting to feel okay about your walk, then a whole other level of clarity comes in and the Lord says, well, you know, I got something else for you to look at now, right? And, and so that's, that's a, a walk that we grow in as we walk with the Lord, but but. That's a sin, that, that's a storm of sin that the Lord is with us even when we're in that. We are never alone. Amen? Amen. All right, so we're going to go on to the next one now because God is with us in weather storms, storms of sin, and there's these storms that are just a phone call away. What's this next one here? Personal issues, uh, storms of crisis and I call crisis, everything's good one minute, and the next minute, everything's not. You got a phone call that somebody is in an accident, you got a, something happened just like that, right? Most of us are just one phone call away from being the least of these, right? We can go from being totally good and happy and joyful and everything to one phone call away changes all that, right? Those are storms of crisis, and those happen all the time. And God is in with us 
in those storms of crisis. But those, these seem to be the harder ones to deal with because they, they, they're reoccurring. They happen, you can't plan for them. Who can plan for a crisis? There's, a one, there's an advert that says, hey, I'm the tire on your RV and I'm gonna blow out at six o'clock tonight in traffic. And the woman says, well, can't we reschedule this? Nope, that's not the way we do things. We blow out when you're least expecting it. You know, that's the way these storms of crisis are, yep. right? And these storms of crisis, it, that's where you've gotta be, you've gotta be, I call it living in deep waters, right? It's the storms of crisis where you're out in deep water anyhow. And uh, I know, I don't, you know, Don Rumsfeld said that, you know, you, 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 uh, you don't know what you don't know. Well, storms of crisis are like that. You know, I don't know what the next crisis is for each one of us in here, but there is going to be a next crisis. I don't know when it's going to come, but I know it's going to come. And so if I know that, then I got to start locking in my mind that the next storm of crisis that comes, the first thing I'm going to do is say, okay, Lord, now what? Okay, Lord, now what? Some people say, well, you know, the only thing we can do now is pray. Uh, no, you got that backwards. The first thing you can do now is pray. If you do praying first, a lot of times all that other stuff doesn't need to be done. Right? That other stuff doesn't need to be done. And so let's read some scripture about a storm of crisis. So this is John chapter uh, 9. This is the man born blind. And so, again, I want you to close your eyes. You're this man born blind. And the thing about the society back in those days is when you were sick, they thought that you were sick because of sin. They wanted to blame somebody. And so this guy, again, you'll hear it in the story. So you're now the man born blind. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When Jesus had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. All right, you open your eyes now. So what was the crowd trying to do to this guy? They're trying to condemn him again. This guy that was born blind, Lord, who sinned? Did this guy sin? Did his parents sin? Somebody must have done something wrong, right? There's still people that believe today that God wants people to be sick or that people are sick because of God. That's, that's a lie. That's a lie from the devil, right? Any sickness and illness does not come from God, right? Believing that and receiving that is a lie. You're receiving and believing a lie. It's not will, God's will that anybody would be sick. It's not, right? And Jesus is undoing that, that, that belief here. People should read the scripture and say, hey, you know what? Yeah, it's not God's will. Some people receive that. And if they do, then they're receiving a lie, right? Don't receive that lie. It's not God's will that anybody be sick. It's not his will. His, it's, it's his will that we live an abundant life, right? Glory to God. And as we walk with the Lord, it's important for us to remember that he's with us in those situations. And, and uh, this is not about healing here. If you get diagnosed with something, I, when I get diagnosed with something, you know, I say, good, now I know exactly what I'm going to pray against. 
A diagnosis is not, you know, that's, that's just information as far as I'm concerned. That's like saying my car needs a spark plug. Okay, well, I'll change the spark plug. That doesn't mean the, doesn't mean the engine's dead. It needs a spark plug. Well, doctor says, hey, this is what's wrong with you. Well, that's what the symptom says. But my God, Abba Father says, I'm healthy, right? So whatever it is, I rebuke it in Jesus' name, command it away, give you no hold over me. Give you no hold over me. Lord says, I'm healthy. I've been healed. I'm walking in that. It's gone, right? So that's, that's, the, that, that's the third type of crisis is the crisis of uh, personal issues. And then the, the last one that we're going to talk about is what about when you're walking in God's will? Can you end up in crisis when you're walking in God's will? Most definitely, right? Most definitely. Let's go back to the storm. How did those disciples get in that boat in the first place? Yeah, they were following God's will. He said, hey, guys, get in that boat and let's go. They were in God's will. Now, they were in an environmental storm, but they were in God's will, right? So we're in this, we're in this season of Advent. We're talking about the Christ child being born, right? How'd you like to be Mary in that story? Did you think Mary took any grief? Do you think she brought any dishonor to her family? Absolutely. She was in God's will. She was selected because she was holy, that she loved God. She was obedient, right? She was selected for that reason. So I'm going to read you this. So now you're Mary, right? Now you're Mary. We're going we're gonna to listen to when Gabriel visits with Mary. So imagine that you're Mary. You're a young lady. You're wholesome. You're pure. You're undefiled. You love God with all your heart. And now you're going to have an encounter with an angel that's going to change your life. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to, by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, to the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his, at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will have no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? That's a big, that's a big question, right? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amen. All right, you can open your eyes. Now, is that a life-altering visit with an angel if you're a young lady? You're engaged to be married. You haven't been married yet, so you shouldn't be having any children yet, right? 
The church doesn't receive that kind of stuff well. Right? Uh, uh, well, I'm just saying, it doesn't receive that kind of information very well. Right? It doesn't today, and it certainly didn't 2,000 years ago. Right? People start to gossip. People start to talk. They start to judge. How could this be? Right? She was totally in God's will. Totally, completely in God's will. Highly favored among women. Right? Hand selected by God. And this is the situation she found herself in. Right? We can be in the same boat, people. We, the, the Lord can put something on our heart that doesn't make sense to anybody else. And we just got to walk in it. Right? We got to walk in it because he's with us. Right? You look at the game changes in the scripture. How many of those things make sense? There are so many people in the scripture that doesn't make sense. How can Paul be chained in prison and be leading people to Jesus Christ? Right? He's chained up. He says, good, I got somebody else chained to me. You're going to become a believer before this is over. Right? Right? That's, that's the apostle Paul. Right? That's the courage that we're talking about here. Everything is an opportunity to, to represent Christ and represent the kingdom. And, and that's what's happening with Mary here. And, and the, the cool thing is, is that when we walk in situations like this, our testimony can be that that which help others. Yeah. Right? The angel gave her a nugget that says, you know what? Elizabeth is in a similar situation, except she's all the way. She was barren. She's all the way at the other end. She's, she's got a, a baby that's six months old. What's the first thing that Mary did? She bought a beeline to Elizabeth, didn't she? Elizabeth was sharing with Mary what this was going to be like. Elizabeth helped Mary. Elizabeth was going through this as well, right? That's a, that's a whole other story that Elizabeth was blessed with. But she prepares Mary through her knowledge. And how encouraging do you think it was when Mary went to Elizabeth and um, John the Baptist leapt in Elizabeth's womb? How much encouragement do you think that was? And then she says, wow, the baby left in my womb from the Holy Spirit. How encouraging do you think that was for Mary? That had to mean a whole lot because Mary didn't come running in. She didn't send a telegram says, hey, you know what? I think I might be pregnant and I'm going to come to you and seek advice. Right? She just showed up. Elizabeth had no way of knowing what was going on. It wasn't like she was like, you know what? I got to think of the right thing to say to encourage Mary because she's in a bad way. That didn't happen. Holy Spirit made it happen, right? And Elizabeth prepared Mary for when she was going to go back, right? And so when we get used to walking in storms, our testimony can help others. And I came across this one scripture. This, or this, it's a little quote from Oswald Chambers. Do, you get, do we have that up there? Might not be up there. Let me see here. So Oswald Chambers puts it this way. You must be willing to go through God's wine press where the grapes are crushed. Right? You must struggle, experiment, and rehearse your words to express God's truth clearly. Then the time will come when that very expression will become God's wine of strength to someone else. Right? That's good stuff, isn't it? You're already walking through the crucible anyhow. You're in God's will. And Oswald Chambers puts it best that, you know, that crushing, that, that crushing that you're going to go through is going to become a sweet wine, maybe a new wine to somebody else 
to prepare them for what they're doing. Amen? That'll preach, won't it? That'll preach. All right. Woo-hoo. Do it. All right. Praise the Lord. So, <laughs> I'm trying to stay on track here. All right. So, so the, the, the last storm I'm going to talk about is the storm that we went through with the storm uh, called Didymi. And I got Mama and the boys in the back. Mama could come up here and she could give you her version of this too. But uh, I, was, I was working at a, a big technology company, had been there for a little over 25 years and was praying about what God would do with me in the next season. And uh, do we do this? Do we not do this? This new thing that now, it didn't even have a name back then, uh, that, that what now we know is didomy. And the Lord gave me some scripture. It was 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. It says, whatever you do, whatever you, whatever you do, do all for the glory of the Lord. Give no offense either to the Greek or the Jew or the church of Christ, but in all things, please all men, not for my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And the funny thing was, is I had been praying for about three months. Lord, what do I do? We had three things we were going to do. I, I, I was going to, I had already had a business started, had a, had a company on the side started. I was going to do consulting. I had done consulting my whole life, was making good money doing it, really good money. And I was going to be a subcontractor and I was going to start a consulting business. And frankly, I was going to make some, continue to make good money. Right? I was a Christian. I was tithing. I was gifting. I was, I was doing all those things that, you know, obedient Christians do. And, and I don't think God found any fault in any of that. But I was, that was option A was another business. It was going to be small business. Option B was a Jimmy John's franchise. I wanted to do Jimmy John's. I like Jimmy John's sandwiches. You know, I says, hey, all right, if you don't want me traveling, don't want me doing the business stuff, then I'll start a franchise. We can run a franchise as a family business. So I started checking the Jimmy John's franchises, started working down that. The third idea was this uh, thing called Dittermy. And um, it, it was a distant third. And I got a shoot that's coming untied. I'm going to tie this so that we don't have a... We have a bad situation up here, rolling around on the floor because I tripped on my shoe. So I went, uh, most, some of you guys may know John Geisler. I went to Pastor John and I was asking him about his business about three months before. And John, uh, he says, Glenn, God's calling you into this business. And I says, well, Pastor John, he's not telling me that. He's telling you that, but he's not told me that. And so... Uh, I love you, brother, but, you know, you know. And so I left that alone, and I was, I was working on these other two options, but I was continually praying about it. I'm doing my devotions uh, one morning, and I came across this scripture, and when I read that, not for my prophet, but the prophet of many, that they may be saved, it was, it was like I almost fell out of my chair. It was like I was slain by the Holy Spirit right there sitting at my desk. I started crying. I was a hot mess. And I'm like, surely not, Lord. And okay, Lord, it was quickly, it was a quick transition. Totally wrecked me. And uh, as I started to process that, I, I says, you know, I got these other two options. Well, this, that pretty clearly summarized, not for my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. It was this option three over here that didn't even have a name. 
And so I shared that with Bernie. I called John up and it was funny because I hadn't talked to him for a couple of months. And John answers the phone and he doesn't even say, hey, Glenn. He says, he answered you, didn't he? Are you kidding me? Yes, he did. You know, well, come on over. Let's get started. And so, so we got started down that path. And he tells me, he says, well, to get started, you need to get yourself a forklift, a warehouse, uh, and, a, and a pallet jack. And I said, okay. And he says, well, you got to go work on those. And once you get those, come back and I'll tell you the next step. And so I will tell you, finding a warehouse was the hardest thing to do. We, we found a warehouse that we... Uh, we were getting ready to be under contract in and I went to sign it that day and the guy changed his mind and it was what we thought the perfect warehouse and so we were looking all over the place and um, looked in Newark on the way home I drove past the place that we now call home and there was a sign out for sale a house for sale but what I noticed wasn't the house I noticed this big blue warehouse by the road there was a house back up on the hill and that became home. And, and so uh, I'm, I give a little hand gesture to mama back there because we, uh, we knew we were going to retire. The house we were living in, we had lived there for 20 years. We had raised our kids in that house. And mama will tell you all the memories were in that home. We thought we were going to retire in that home and all the grandbabies. And we thought that that's where home was going to be for the rest of our time. And... Uh, we prayed about it and the Lord said, nope, this is the place you're going to live because we couldn't afford to do both. And so we sold the home that we lived in to buy the place with the big warehouse on the front and the house in the back. And um, it's, you know, Bernie and I were talking about this this morning. I told her, I said, I'm going to share this story with people this morning uh, because this was, that created a storm of crisis that she will tell you comes and goes because it's an, it's an ongoing storm because She'll get memories and she, she gets, you know, it bothers her sometimes because that was home and all the memories are there. The Christmases, the prior Christmases, we had 20 plus years of Christmases and birthday parties, all were in that home and it bothers her at times. And, and so it comes and goes, but, but that's a sacrifice. And the Lord takes our sacrifices and seasons them and makes something good out of it. He purifies us through the sacrifice, amen? You with me on that? Have you, have you heard scripture on that? And so, uh, all right. So I'm going to go to Mark chapter 10, verse 49. It says, for everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Well, that's a, that's when's the last time you heard somebody preach on that? Right? When's the last time you had, had have some salt? You, you know, usually when you talk about somebody being a salty person, that's not a compliment. <laughs> right? If you say that they're a little salty, that, that's not a compliment. Well, I'm here to tell you that that can be a compliment when it's based on Scripture, and and so fire purifies, right? Fire purifies and salt preserves, and we today lose sight of the fact of the, the many uses for salt, right? We've got refrigerators, we've got freezers. We have other ways of keeping things safe. 
we've got chlorine now. We've got all these things that replace salt. But I've got a little object lesson to show you this morning. So so one of the things I do is I I cook steaks. We'll get a a seven-pound sirloin, and you take that seven-pound sirloin, you take Morton kosher salt, and you put... You wrap that thing with about a half inch of salt, and then you wrap it with paper towels. You do eight layers of paper towels, and I put them on an oven rack, I wire them together, and I flip this thing on a fire, and I cook it on a fire for an hour and a half with a couple bags of charcoal. The fire is super, super hot, right? And now, I want you to see this. These paper towels have been on a fire. They were on a fire yesterday. We did this for our uh, Did Me Christmas party, so... Uh, they all went through the, they got the short version of this yesterday. Uh, salt preserves. When's the last time, if I told you I could take paper towels and I could soak paper towels in water and put them, you know, eight layers thick on a fire for an hour and a half that it would not burn, right? It's, it's not possible. The well, water at some point will dehydrate out of there and it'll burn. These paper towels were on the fire for an hour and a half and you can look at them. They're actually still pliable. And what preserved these paper towels is salt, right? These paper towels have salt in them. And you can't get the salt out of these things. You could probably rinse them enough to get the salt out of them. But these paper towels are preserved. They're preserved. They've been through the fire and they're preserved, right? So what if us in our walk, right, had enough salt in us, i.e. Holy Spirit, i.e. joy, we're talking fruits of the Spirit, What if we're so saturated with Holy Spirit that we've got so much salt in us that we don't care about the fire, right? I don't care about the fire, yeah? I don't care about the fire. I got so much salt in me, I don't care about the fire. Come purify. Matter of fact, I want the fire to come purify me because there's been some things that have been messing with me that I just soon watch them burn up, right? What if we get to the point where we've got so much salt in us that we welcome the purification? We welcome the storm because God is with me in the storm, right? If he's with me in the storm, come on storm. Come on storm because there's not a lot of things that like to hang around storm, including the bad things that will afflict us. So come on storm. I got God with me. Uh, let's bring on the fire. Purify it. Let's, be, let's, let's burn some of this noise out of my life. Right? That's, I think that's what this scripture is talking about when it says, for everyone will be seasoned with fire. We're going to be tested. We're going to be purified by fire. And every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Mama made the sacrifice to sell our home that we're going to retire in. I believe that every time she thinks about that, the Lord seasons that with salt. And that's a, that's a blessing that we're pouring into this ministry. That was one of the sacrifices we made and the Lord's blessing that. And why is he blessing it? Because he says, everything you do, not for your profit, but the profit of may, the people are going to be saved. Right? I truly believe in the word of God. I believe I can accidentally save people just by being obedient. Right? That's what the scripture says. I can, I can accidentally save somebody by giving them a, a blanket or a pillow or something because that's the scripture I'm living out. Everything I do, he says, not for my profit, but the profit made that they may be saved. And every sacrifice is going to be seasoned. I see a formula. I'm I'm a math guy. I see a formula. If he's going to season the sacrifices 
And then that's going to lead to people getting saved. Hallelujah. I, I'll take that deal. I'll take that deal. And I'll get on a boat in a storm to take that deal. Right? I'll deal with somebody that's sick to take that deal because I know the healer. I'll get, I'll take those deals. Right? Praise the Lord. And so, so our life of Didymi has been one of those things. And so, how much time? We, well, we got a little bit of time yet. So, uh, so, so we started, we got the warehouse. We had to buy a truck, and that we did. We did me was in existence for about three months. They says, "Well, you guys don't have a credit history, but Glenn, you have a credit history." So, so uh, we bought a Freightliner on our personal credit, right? And so we did that, and then we had to start this business. And as we started this business, starting a business takes a whole lot more capital, a whole lot more money than some people might think. Uh, and, and so we needed big chunks of money. And so I'm in prayer. Okay, God, I trust you. Where's this money coming from? Where's the money coming from? And he says, I've given you everything you need. Given you everything you need. I'm like, I, I don't see it. I don't see it. And then I got an email with like the electronic update of my 401k status for the month. And I says, oh. Certainly not that. Is that what you're talking about? That's for retirement. You know. And so you argue with him a little bit because he must not know that I'm going to retire young and I need to stretch this out. He must not know. It's like the boat thing. You must not know. He says, oh, I, believe me, I understand. He says, look, you're, when I called you into this, you take everything I've given you. There's not, there's not a, you know, the thing I've learned in our life is there's not a separation. He, in... We can put things into buckets. Humans put things into buckets. God's just, you know, when he looks at Glenn and Bernie, it's, it's all the one flesh, it's all in one thing. He says, look, I, you either receive this call in your life or you're not, and then if you have this call in your life, everything I've given you is yours to use. Okay, so we start drawing out of the 401k. We're comfortable with it now. Are we comfortable with it now? So we took two draws. Year one was a smaller draw. Year two was a bigger draw. Uh, year three, we took no draw, and now we're into year four, and we've taken no draw on the 401k. Praise the Lord. So he's made it sustainable. And, and over time, I've, I've learned to see the difference, and this is, this is a Pastor Brent thing here, between having a garden and having an orchard. Right? He says, I'm, what you're building is you're building an orchard, not a garden. And how many of us know that we need to do both to do well, right? We need to have a garden and we need to start to build an orchard. Amen? And this is my Pastor Brent thing. I'll try it over here because it didn't work over there. <laughs> we need to have a garden and we need to have an orchard. Amen. So <laughs> I got to tease him a little bit. So when you garden, you can plant, you can plant a kernel of corn and you can get a stalk that has like five years on it you can get 100, 500 return on corn, right? Gardening is good. Farmers garden. Many farmers garden. Or, you know, that's, that's the gardening model. You have to replant every year. And it takes a fair amount of discipline because you have to replant. You have to keep seed corn back. If you don't keep seed corn back, you don't have anything for the next year. But if you go to sell that, that garden, you're just selling land. There's, there is no increased wealth with that garden 
You've used it for a year, but you're starting over every year. And some people, they live their life like that, and they're wondering, why in the world am I starting over all the time? They feel like they're starting over all the time. Right? I'm not saying there's anybody in here like that. But you might be gardening as opposed to running a vineyard, which is what our father runs. He runs a vineyard. Right? Nothing wrong with farming, but he runs a vineyard. He's the vine dresser. Right? What do you have if you have a vineyard or an orchard? You're, you're building capital. You have trees. And you tend to them and you prune them. You have vines. You tend to them and you prune them. But if you sell that, you're selling a business. You're selling. It takes five years for an apple tree to, to produce good fruit. Five years. You're looking at a five-year investment. So that's why I'm saying you got to do both. You got to you got to have a garden to survive. But if you wanna if you wanna start to thrive, you got to have something in your life that starts to build equity and starts to multiply above and beyond what you get from a garden, yeah. right? That's the orchard part. And so I would challenge everybody in their life: take a look at what you're doing. What are you doing short term that you get the three to six month? or an annual return, and what are you doing long-term from an orchard standpoint? And, and when I'm taking stuff out of my 401k, I'm building an orchard. I'm not gonna take, buy seed corn with a 401k. That's the accountant in me. I might, just might've lost you guys, but that's, that's, that's God telling me, take it out of this bucket and put it in this bucket. It's a long-term bucket. It's an orchard bucket, right? It's an orchard bucket. And, and then you're, you, you've got value right? You've got value and you've got long-term stuff. It's easier to run an orchard every year if I'm pruning the trees. My uncle has an orchard. He'd say it's not that easy, but you, you, you know, there's pruning and there's maintenance to be done, but you're starting with something at the beginning of every year. You have an orchard, you have 500, you have 2,000 trees. You're pruning those and those trees are going to bear fruit and you have something to start with and you have a magnification effect year over year. You're getting apples every year you're getting fruit or pears every year because you're maintaining that orchard. You see the difference between that and a garden? And so the challenge for us is to look at our lives and look at how we're serving things in the kingdom and have a balance of both, right? Have a balance of both and make changes that way because God is with us in all those things. He's a planner. How many knows God planner? He's a planner. He, he's a planner. And so... I would encourage everybody to take a look at that. And so that's, that's a little bit of our testimony. God, we have found that God is so faithful when we step out. But we've got to step out. There's been times when he's told me to step through a door. I didn't step through the door and I lost an opportunity. But the more you listen to him and the more you learn to discern and hear what he's got to say, the more you can put yourself in a place of being blessed. A lot of times he says, we, we, we want the blessing, but we don't want to step through to get it right we we see we see giants and instead of little tiny grasshoppers that we can smash right that was a <laughs> all right so praise the lord so so i'm going to do something a little different here so 